You're listening to Just, stories about the people working to build thriving communities rooted in justice. I'm Jess Averhart, co-founder of Black Wall Street Homecoming. And I'm Rob Shields, executive director of the ReCity Network. All right, look, so here's why we're here. We're here to get proximate. We're here to listen. We're here to process. And we're here to help you process. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to be preachy because we don't have all the answers. And we will never make you feel like an outsider. Keeping with the theme of sharing, we always want to acknowledge the whole person. And that starts with our personal Personal check-in. Let's do it. Jessica Averhart. I don't know if I've ever used your full name before. I don't know. I don't know that people even know my old name is Jessica. I said it. I, just I said it and I immediately got Jess. self-conscious. I was like, I, is that okay? Can I do that? You've never called me by my, my mom full would, name. My mom would love it. Huh. <laughs> yeah, Robert there Shields. Yep. I've never yeah, done that. Yeah, that's weird. That wow. takes me, that makes me feel like you're like my fifth grade teacher or something and I'm in trouble. <laughs> Robert. I'm going, to, I'm going to the principal's office. Oh no. It's uh, good to see you, yes, friend. Yes, whatever name you feel like responding to, I, how are you doing? Catch me up. Well, you know, I'm doing well. We're firmly in December now, getting ready to go into Christmas and New Year's, which is exciting. I just got back. I was sharing with you right before we started record. I just got back from New York City, Manhattan, for a quick turnaround, quick turn and burn is what I like to call it, to celebrate the life and legacy of Stuart Scott, who some of you will know that name or you'll be like, hmm, that sounds familiar. Stuart Scott was a, an anchor on ESPN and just a, a great father and of two amazing young ladies and a, an amazing brother to one of my closest friends. And so that's how I was invited up to celebrate with him for the Jimmy V Foundation at the Voices of Victory fundraiser. And it, the theme of it was called Booyah. So if you know, if you know uh, Stuart, he used to do that on ESPN. He also used to say he was cooler than other the other side of the pillow. People yes. were cooler than yes. the other side of the pillow. Yeah. That was it. So tons of fun. It was great to just be around other people who were really there to celebrate. And Jay Harris emceed and Hill Harper, they both were on stage and representing his his uh, his foundation and their fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. So it was just cool to be around people who had those personal stories, but also were able to talk about impact. You know, so many times we we like idealize celebrities, but they really spoke to you know, Stuart as a man and just what he, what he meant to them as a friend. And so it was really cool. It was just nice to be in that space and honor him. It's also just really nice to be in New York city in Christmas time because it's beautiful. Mm. And I have never been to New York at Christmas time. So it was kind of like my Midwestern girl, you know, Norman Rockwell mindset just came out. I was geeking out on everything, including Macy's department store. So I did all the things. That's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. As you're sharing about Stuart yeah. Scott, I, I, only knew him from ESPN, you know, and he would come do the mid- Midnight Madness at UNC mm-hmm. as a as a Tar Heel alum. And but to hear right. you, it's so cool to hear you say like as someone who like he clearly he's he's famous. He kind of a lot of people know his name, but makes me think of that. I, I heard you know the, the difference between eulogy virtues and resume virtues, and like how when you when you pass on and, and people are honoring your legacy, what really matters is the eulogy virtue. The, the things they talk about were your kindness and the and the type of person you were to those around you, and instead of all I know is his his resume virtues. Like, oh, he was a sports anchor, but like, that's not what they talk about when when you go and, uh-uh. and spend time with his family and celebrate his life, which is a is a cool reminder. You know, I almost feel like yeah, that theme of legacy is going to permeate today a little bit. So for yeah, for me, my check in, I am really excited to use 
the, my short amount of time. Usually, I feel like it's always one minute, but I, I think it's longer. <laughs> I think I talk usually for a lot longer than that on my personal check-ins. But whatever amount of time you usually give me, Jess, to see to a good friend of mine who, who also <laughs> left a really profound legacy in my life. We've never, on the Just Podcast, never really done any type of fundraising. Those costs have been generously oh. underwritten by by sponsors and donors. And so, never really asked our listeners to to take an action as far as giving to us directly. And we're still not going to do that. But we're at the end of the year. Our listeners are listening to this, you know, two weeks before the beginning of the new year, which is the time where people are, are looking to, to make investments. And, you know, there was there was a, someone who came across that I got to meet through ReCity years ago. His name was Connell Green. Connell Green was an entrepreneur, local to Durham, aspiring baker. He overcame a, a tragic accident early in his life where he had to relearn how to how to talk, how to read and write. But this man's tenacity and resiliency was something that was such oh. a blessing to me. He wore a lot of hats. He was my friend. He was he was a mentor. We would go shoot pool at the local bowling alley here in Durham and and we just talk about fatherhood. He had a, he had a son. He still has a son that's my age. And so I would just sit there. Mm. He would teach me how to play pool and he would teach me how to be a dad. And he passed away during COVID, not because of COVID, but passed away suddenly due to an unrelated illness during the pandemic. And so, you know, I attended his funeral, but as far as the ReCity community uh, and the people who really care about you know, that ecosystem and, and, and have come together and kind of as like a ragtag family, we've never really had a chance collectively to celebrate his life. And so we thought this would be a really cool way to do that. The church that he attended just down the street in Durham set up a, a college fund for his two grandchildren. And so mm-hmm. I think what I want to plug in my personal check-in is, hey, if you have been blessed by this podcast, if you've, you know, we're, we're now over 50 episodes into this thing. And if this has been something that help, has helped you on your justice journey, we would ask, we would invite you to honor that and pass it forward by investing in maybe in the next generation, investing in edu- education, investing in the next generation entrepreneurs. You know, Connell is a, is a legacy entrepreneur. His whole family, you know, eats, sleeps and breathes it. And I think that would be a really neat way for us to lift up kind of the people who have been meaningful to us and I've also been meaningful to this work in many ways. Yeah, he, he was, I love that. He was an active part of, of everything that the ReCity podcast represents. And so we're going to drop that link into the show notes. We'll also be posting it all on our social media at the podcast just. You can get it throughout the rest of December. We'll have that link live and would love for you to help reach that goal that we set to be able to make that happen for, for Connell's family. I, I think that he'd be looking down and smiling and and probably be saying, hey, Rob, if I could, I'd be baking you up a batch of fresh cookies right now because that was always what his thing mm. was. He was he's always walking around ReCity, handing out cookies and trying to get land that next catering gig for That's your awesome. next event That's or so wedding. Great. So, Very nice. I love yeah. that, Rob. Thank yeah. you. No. That's great. Oh, so speaking of people who've had an so, impact, I think that's a really yes. great transition to our guest. We're going to break ground here in many ways. This is going to be an episode of first and have our first repeat guest back onto the podcast. The Tom Hanks of the Just Podcast, if you will. You know, that joke about how Tom Hanks is co-hosted or hosted SNL, Saturday Night Live. Like, he has, holds the record. I don't know how many times it is, but it's like over in the double digits. So David Spickard of season two fame we're inviting him back on. David, we're so grateful to have you back. Welcome back to the Just Podcast. Wow. I know for sure I've never been connected to Tom Hanks. So that's a <laughs> that's a real real compliment and privilege. I appreciate that, Rob. It's really great to be back with you and Jess. Yeah. Well we're it's great to see you, yeah, friend. Yeah, we're honored to see you. And this is this is gonna be a great conversation because our worlds, the three of our worlds intersect not just through this podcast, but really in many ways, meaningful work that overlaps in each of our spheres. And so I think that we're, Jess and I are both 
really excited. We, we love meeting new people, but we also meet, love connecting with old friends and kind of co-laborers in this work. And so you check off that second box for sure. And maybe you can also have the same acting ability as Tom Hanks. We don't know. I'm sure that that will not happen. (laughs) You're not going to use this to launch your acting career. This is not going to be what happens for this podcast. Okay. That's right. Nope. That's fair. David's like, that is not my ministry. My gifts lie elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I I know my lane and that is not my lane. That's right. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. Well, let's get to your lane and because it is quite the lane. And for those of you who are listening that did not hear the first episode that we did with David back in season two, you can find it early on in season two. How to Be a Just Leader was the name of the title. Uh, You'll actually see that there's a follow-up as well immediately following it because we had such a nuanced conversation with you, David, that we had to bring you immediately back on because we were debriefing on it and we were like, we kind of need him to be a part of this because help us process through what you're saying because it was such, it was hard to wrap our minds around a little bit. And I'm excited to kind of return to that conversation and kind of catch up on more of what you've been doing uh, since September of last year. Cause I mean, it's been quite the 18 months for all of us and would love for you to speak on kind of what you're seeing in your, in the landscape of leadership and just leadership since then. But for those of you who have not, I would encourage you to pause now, maybe either listen to that one as a, I think it's a good prequel to this conversation. If you like watching movies in the right order, I would go back. If you're more of like a, I like watching it and then finding about the origin story, you can do that. There's really not a, I don't think it, it can work either way. But for those of you who are new to David's story, David is passionate about helping leaders thrive so their people thrive and ultimately their communities thrive. He's the president of Spickard Consulting, a leadership development company based in Raleigh, North Carolina, that works with CEOs and their leadership teams to strengthen their leadership, culture, strategy, and impact. In addition to that, he's created the Just Leadership Project, which engages CEOs and leaders of influence to learn how to navigate issues of justice to affect real change and leave a lasting legacy. Prior to starting Spickard Consulting, David was the CEO of Jobs for Life, a global nonprofit organization which provides pathways for unemployed and underemployed men and women to experience the dignity of work. Under his 18 years of leadership, JFL grew from a local work in Raleigh to a global network of churches, community organizations, and businesses in over 450 cities and 10 countries. That's a lot. Along the way, David mobilized thousands of leaders to provide practical solutions for poverty and joblessness in the U.S. and across the world. And most recently, which we're really excited to talk to you about, he's created a framework around the four qualities of a just leader, and he's currently in the process of turning that framework into a book, his first book, which will be coming out early next year. So we're going to be able to then add author extraordinaire and aspiring actor to his bio when we bring (laughs) him back for the the fourth time. Just add whatever you want, Rob. (laughs) gonna say you just keep getting credits added I'm gonna to do your, it. Yeah, maybe yeah. i miss my calling talk about missing your calling yeah. maybe i should write people's bios for a living i got i get really excited to do that <laughs> write their bios and make them live up to it that's what you're saying yeah that's true maybe <laughs> it's live up yeah, to you're it set, <clears throat> you're, you're setting the bar very high maybe Tom, yeah, is it, and then all these is it crippling I, I, maybe i should check with people first before <laughs> reading and making it up on the fly yeah well I'll workshop I, it. I like to under I like to under promise and over deliver if I can. Okay. Well, so that's we'll not see. really what we're <laughs> we'll about see. here, David. We're about setting a high bar and then our guests always exceeding that bar. So I have no doubt that you'll okay. do that. It hasn't happened to us yet. After this, I'm just gonna go take a master class on biography writing. All right. So David, the floor is yours. I want to start 
maybe at the most recent, which is your book. You got a book coming out. We've never had a guest come onto the podcast and then start to write a book. So this is a first for us. We haven't been able to actually read it yet, yeah. even though I think Jess and I have experienced some of the the content in real time in some of our work that's overlapped with yours. But for our listeners, why this book and why now? Yeah. So the book, you know, honestly, I've always wanted to say I was an author, <laughs> but I probably didn't want to go through the process of actually writing a book. I just wanted it to appear, you know, just like that. But as we, as I began to do the Just Leadership Groups, which you mentioned, these groups that are made up of business CEOs and executive leaders who are going through a cohort experience that I put together where I'm facilitating content of what it looks like to be a just leader. And we're doing that over the course of two years. All of a sudden, I sort of, sort of looked up and said, wow, this is content that could easily be put into a book. And so it wasn't necessarily my goal from the outset to put this in a book. Honestly, I had people who affirmed that idea. They just naturally saw that the content was structured in such a way that it was easily uh, able to be put into chapters and it flowed and things like that. So I began to think about what would it look like for me to just begin to start writing. And I've gotten some help, which is awesome, to help me kind of take my thoughts and put them into the kind of writing that I think would draw people in to the ideas that we're presenting in Just Leadership. The hope is to have another vehicle to get to plant a seed for people who are interested in this idea of what it means to be just or to engage issues of justice and to see how that plants some seeds for people who, again, want to wrestle with these issues and then think through how they want to take some next steps. Yes. In terms of why now, wow. I've said this before, but you know, my work with Jobs for Life, almost 20 years I started, and we always dealt with these issues of justice and poverty and race and power, particularly in communities of need. And always those issues always felt landed with deaf ears with people of power and influence. They, they liked the ideas of, of the issues that we were dealing with, but they didn't really engage them in a way that they saw their role in those issues. And I think with all that's happened over the last particularly two years, there's an awareness and a recognition more than ever by people in positions of power that they need to understand what's going on, know how to lead through the issues that are now being presented to them, and they, they need to know what to do. And a lot of them don't, don't really know what to do. So I think, I think the timing is just natural. I didn't plan it. It just kind of happened, but it's very relevant to what's going on around us. Yeah, that's a great segue because I'm so curious. Thank you, David. I'm, I'm really excited that you're taking what you've been applying, this practical application in the last couple of, of years, 18 months for sure, where I've seen you engage in this and putting it down so that it can be scalable. I'm a big fan of scalability. That's why we're doing a podcast and not just an event, right? For 30 people, Rob always reminds me that's the point of podcasts is reach. And so what you're doing is answering the call for reach and being able to get this message out globally, internationally, right? Which I think is amazing. And so I'm curious, you know, I'm a big on leadership. My background's in leadership. And the one thing I tell people always when they start to talk to me about their leadership style or the challenges around leadership is, 
you know, and I think I've probably said on this podcast at least once, but one of my mentors, Colonel Joe LaBeouf, who, who Rob knows, has said often, he always says this, that leadership is hard and inconvenient, yeah. hard and inconvenient. And it's become even harder. And I would say that people would, if they're honest, has become more inconvenient because we've had to get uncomfortable and, and outside our margins that we've created for ourselves over the last couple of years. I'd love from your perspective, if you can maybe just share with us what you've seen over the last couple of years, how leadership has changed in the people around you because you're serving and, and working with CEOs and high-level executives. How has it changed? And and even you personally, how has your leadership changed in the last couple of years? Mm. Well, that's good. So in terms of the leaders that I'm working with, in some ways it's across the board because some I've been working with have been completely overwhelmed. The work that they are doing or the environments that they're in, they're continually in a, a crisis mode. And then there are other leaders who have thrived and they have done extremely well. But across the board, whether they've struggled or thrived, I think there's a greater awareness of how they need to invest in their people. And that's always been the challenge that I've had. In fact, the, when I come and I walk with leaders and coach them one-on-one or when I walk with them and their, their leadership teams, the, the challenge is always how are they now leading in and through their people and investing in them in such a way that they can thrive. And it sounds obvious, but for many people, that is a very difficult skill for them to develop and to implement. And especially now when we're more disconnected, where people are having to figure out how to keep people accountable by also offering more flexibility because of the need to be distant in light of the pandemic. And then when you throw in uh, the justice pieces of this, particularly for leaders who have not had experience with this or knowing how to respond when issues in our communities really bubble up, what do they say and what do they do to respond when a, when a key issue happens and their people are reacting in such a way that they need to speak into that? And so I've had to really come alongside some of those leaders and say, you know, you need to say something right now. <laughs> and, yeah. and, they, and they say, whoa, oh, okay. Okay, so what do I say? Well, I said, well, we have to walk with you to make sure that whatever you say is also you. And it's not just to say some canned response that everybody expects you to make in light of this issue that's happening in the community, but is authentically you and, and helps people understand how you are sensitive to these issues, but are doing it from the place where you are on this on this journey that you're personally on in dealing with these issues. That requires a lot of coaching. It requires a new set of eyes and lenses for people to have that they didn't realize that they had before. It opens them up to a level of vulnerability that they didn't have before which is good. It, it opens them up to being more sensitive. But at the end of the day, too, they have to figure out how to be profitable, how to be competitive. And so, you know, you have to elevate your leadership to be awesome. Like you have to be, a, when we're doing these just leadership experiences and cohort and training, I'm, I'm telling these leaders, look, the environment now is requiring you to be varsity. In order for you to be profitable, be competitive, and also be just, you've got to bring your A game. 
And so there are new skills and new ideas and new awareness that everyone needs to have to build on what they're good at so that they can do what you said, which is invest in people who are extremely complex, very messy, and our environment has got, gotten even messier. So if we're not paying attention to that as business leaders in particular and staying ahead of the wave or at least keep up with the wave, we're going to be way behind. It's almost like, you know, you miss the trend. Like here's a new market that's coming and a new product that we need to prepare for. And, and we totally missed it because we just weren't thinking ahead about how we need to position ourselves for that new product or that new market. It's the same thing with being being just, being culturally aware, knowing how to lead in this complex time. That's a word for me. That's a word for me, David. So good. That's so good. Varsity, JV to varsity and thinking and and planning strategically ahead for where we're going, not where we are. I mean, again, business leaders think about this. We say it, but it's, you know, you got to practically put that thing into action if you're going to, if you're actually going to play in the big league. So thank you for that. That personally resonated with me as a business owner. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I'm not alone. Like I'm sure many of our listeners are hearing you share that, David. And they're like, man, we, we got the emails, you know, whether it was from our boss or from some network we were a part of. It felt like everyone, a lot of people in business were racing to say the right thing after last summer. And David, you aren't saying the opposite of that. You're just saying they don't need to be the perfect words. They need to be your words. And they're, they're, first of all, you need to say something. They need to be your words but also there needs to be this humility to it and vulnerability to say everyone was so desperate to prove that they were on the side of the angels, right? In a kind of a post-George Floyd world to say, oh, okay, I'm, I need to separate myself from that. But I think there can be a way where we actually communicate the wrong message of saying, I've, I'm actually further along in my own journey than I, than I actually am. And that the real vulnerability wouldn't be the polished statement that you borrowed from an online or someone gave to you as a script, but truly true, bold, courageous action is, Hey guys, I'm not where I should be on this. I'm learning and I need to listen and I need to learn and I, I need to be on this journey. And I, and I am on a journey, but I've, I've got some work that I need to be doing. Yeah, that's right. If, you, if you're not careful, you can kind of set yourself up to fail. If you create the wrong expectation, it's kind of like what you did with me at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> but, but, yeah, yeah, guilty. By giving yeah, all yeah. these accolades, and now I need to deliver. Um, no, it's it's you have to just be authentic. That's another thing that I found in coaching leaders, just in general, without all of this justice stuff that we're talking about. Just simply being vulnerable. So many leaders feel like they have to have it all together to be a great leader, and the opposite is true. The opposite is is the way that they're really going to connect with their people, where they they can have the appropriate boundaries, but have the right level of vulnerability to help people really connect with them and be on this journey with them, so that they can own. Everyone can own what the group is doing, and they're not just taking direction from the leader. And that ultimately is how the leader thrives and how the business or the organization thrives when everybody owns the outcome and that requires vulnerability. So it's no different as we navigate these complex issues of justice that we have to respond to and, and know when to respond and when not to respond. And, you know, I have leaders come to me and say, well, should I respond to this? Should I respond to that? Like now, now it's like, what, 
you know, there's a, it's incredibly complex and nuanced to figure out. You could be responding to everything. Should we have a holiday for this, a holiday for that? You know, should we, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's really challenging right now. Speaking of challenging, I want to go back to the conversation we had last September because that that was one that was just as nuanced as the the waters that we're talking about now. So, flashback September 2020, almost 18 months ago, you know, we found ourselves talking about how one of your objectives is really to help the people that you're working with, primarily CEO level folks, people who have power, have influence, and help them to prosper so that their entire community will flourish. You kind of want to help them gain more success, more power, more wealth and influence, because if they're living, my takeaway from that conversation was if they're living more other focused lives, then really this has the power to really not benefit primarily themselves, but to transform their entire communities. That was a lot to wrap our heads around, especially with the history. You know, Jess and I spent time debriefing that of like, well, who, who, who has the power, who has the wealth? And this concept could be abused in the wrong hands or with the heart, wrong heart motivation, right? But we knew that wasn't where you were coming from. So that's why we got you back on. We're like, David, make this make sense to us. So what I want to do is just almost bridge today to that conversation and say, hey, flash forward 18 months. You've been doing this work a year and a half since that conversation. How have you seen that concept play out in your work? And what does this look like practically? Because I, I think that's, that's like the million dollar question. And that's not going to be what we can pay you for this answer, but it's still, it's, that's what the question is worth. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's a big question. So just to review a bit. So that concept comes from a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs eleven ten. when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And the righteous is a word, a Hebrew word, sadakim, that refers to people of power, wealth, and influence who steward all of their resources, not for themselves, but for others, and really for God's peace and justice. So you're right, this is abused in our world, where people of power use their resources not for others or God's peace or justice, but for themselves and to hold on to power. But the idea in that verse is, if you if you are the Sadakim, then you when you prosper, when you gain more power, wealth, and, and resources, then everybody rejoices. The whole city, even the poorest of the poor in the city, dance wildly in the streets, which is counterintuitive because normally we're like, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Why would I want to dance in the streets? I should be resentful and bitter that this person is gaining more power and wealth. But because they're the Sadakim and because they steward their resources for God's peace and justice, everyone is dancing in the streets because they know when the Sadakim win, everyone wins. Now, that's a concept that is hard for us to understand. We don't even have a grid for it. What is we we live in a win-lose world, not a win-win world. And part of what I'm hoping to do with that with the people that I'm working with is almost take the rails off of their guilt and shame for pursuing wealth and success and profitability. That it's okay that even for me, who comes from a Christian biblical worldview, money's okay, but the love of money is the problem. Profit is okay, but it's how you steward your profits. And so, 
oftentimes when we get into this conversation of justice, we, we really get locked up with how we are supposed to operate and don't have the sense of freedom in order to go out and really be excellent and successful at what we do. And then the issue is, is how then are we stewarding all of those resources for the good of the whole? And how do we pursue our lives from a we dynamic, us dynamic, versus me and I? So that's the big idea. And we've broken down, you know, you mentioned the four qualities. These are four qualities that we've come up with in light of some experience, in light of unpacking that verse. But the four qualities are uh, just leaders first see the whole playing field. Second, they build cultural competency. Third, they give power away. And fourth, they take bold and courageous action. So in terms of how this is being applied and what am I seeing, that's a really good question. The goal of this is to be careful not to just see application in all the things that people are now doing differently, although that's important outside of what they already do. The goal is to begin to rewire people, to sort of make people think differently, have a different set of lenses. Their DNA is sort of changed. So what I'm starting to see is, is in particular, is these leaders are doing the first quality really, starting to do it really well. They're starting to see. And that's a good first step. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I have to yes. have that as a good like expectation too at the beginning because this is a long thing that we're trying to do. So just seeing things, seeing things that they hadn't seen before, seeing things in themselves, seeing things in others, seeing things in their community that they would have passed by. Even emailing me when something happens and say, I, you think I need to say something, don't I? I need to do something to send a letter out or an email out to my company. That's a great application or kind of a result of this uh, work that we're doing. It's small and nobody's going to see it, but it's something that's happening. Now, the other three cultural competency, giving power away and taking <laughs> action. We got some, we got ways to go where that's, those things are going to take a while. And I'm hopeful that we're not just getting content with talking about these things, but we're going to see some real, real measurable change over time that moves the needle on these, on these issues. And I can talk a lot more, but that kind of gives you a sense of where we are with that. Yeah, no, that's very helpful. I, you know, these four principles, these four qualities, not principles, but these four qualities, I think I get the, the, the part where they're like, oh, I see it. You know, you said that's, that's coming a little bit more naturally. Folks are starting to lean in a little bit more. They're like, okay, David, I get you. But that does still leave three. And you said, those are, those are kind of coming along. You know, we've got listeners who are like, you know, I can, I can, they're maybe imagining themselves being coached by you or, you know, in a relationship with you around these qualities. Why don't you give us some insight on those other three just very quickly? I'm curious which one you predict based on your experiences coaching and leading and supporting executives these last couple of years, which one is the one that's like that folks are white knuckling? They're like, this one just feels hard. Yeah. Well, you could almost throw a dart, you know, darts at a board and just pick which one. So let's start with cultural competency. You know, there's a lot, people are at different levels of this uh, quote unquote spectrum 
of how they navigate cultural competency. And it's not just race, it's thinking through economics and power and and gender and things like that. So if we're taking race as an example, there's a lot of questions about how we lean into that conversation without being defensive. And what does it look like then for me as a person of power, uh, a white male leader to take ownership of some of the brokenness that has taken place as a result of race, instead of me um, not seeing it as my problem. The other big one that leaders are having to navigate is gender and gender identity and how to navigate Mm. just the way that is played out in the workforce and the workplace. So we're having to really think through that as well. So that's just very complex. Power, when we talk about giving power away, a lot of that has to do with redefining success. The two things that that stand out when we're talking about power is what is the right definition of success and having a broader view of success. And the other is how we handle money. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And how we think about money and how Mm -hmm. we not just steward money, but what I've learned in being around these guys is they talk about money a lot and not because they're consumed by money, but because money is the tool of exchange in commerce. And they, over time, learn how to play this game of business. And they then have to know how to use the tool of money and all of its complexity in order to win the game or play the game well. And so oftentimes, they're thinking about an application to our time together in terms of being just. It's how do we help people really understand money? You know, starting with financial literacy, but even going beyond that so that people can compete in the marketplace because they know how money works, how deals are done, how investments are made, who has money, who doesn't have money. How do you get new people in on a deal that haven't had access before? That's huge for us. Yeah. And, and if we don't understand that these issues are economic, they're very complex, but economics is a huge part of this. And if we're holding on to our money too much or we're hoarding it or we're, we're only seeing the way we use money as we go out and make all of it and then we give some of it away versus stewarding what we already have and maybe even limiting some of our profits on a deal so that we give access to people who haven't had access before, that's what we have to challenge people. And that has to do with networks and who they're used to working with and saying, look, y'all can't do the same thing all the time and get to a different outcome. So that's a real challenge. And that's, again, when you're kind of brushing up against what's comfortable, what's easy, who I hire, who I do business with, how I'm patient enough for people to to build new networks over time with people who may not have had access. All that kind of thing becomes a really interesting and hard conversation, but it's, it's one we have to have. And then taking action, I mean, we could talk forever about that, but you got to not talk about it, but you got to really do something. And we talk a little bit about how, how we need to think about the action that we take. So I'm hopeful. This is why the co- cohorts are two years, because it takes time. The first group that started two years ago, they were at their last meeting just last month, and they said, we need another year. 
said, okay, well, I'll plan year three. <laughs> and so we're going to do year three with, with group one. So it might become a three-year thing. It might even be beyond that. But the whole point is that if we're going to rewire ourselves and really make a difference, it's going to take time. We've got to be patient while also having a sense of urgency too. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, there's a couple of things that stand out to me there, David. One is that you're, you're talking about helping. We talk about a lot on the podcast, moving from asking yourself, what do I do to, to how well do I see? And you're, you're saying, I want to help the people develop a lens in which they view the world differently. And that is not a microwave approach. And I don't think you, you haven't taken that. You're not, you're not doing a half day seminar on this thing as a one-off, like, cause you realize my, my aspirations are much deeper. We need to fundamentally change the way you view That's this right. thing. And then the, the other thing, Jesse, you remember this, this makes me go ahead. Gonna say, you, say? So you're creating a new normal. And, and that's important because so many people come to this and say, I don't have time for this. Like you're asking me to do something extra or to place a burden on me. And I don't have capacity right now. Everyone's busy. But when, you, when you're talking about rewiring, you're talking about a new normal, which doesn't take more time. It, it just reorients your time. So you make different decisions. You make different choices. You engage different people. You still do the same things, but you do it in a different way. And that's a critical for us to, to engage with this. And that's why I always push back. All, all the leaders that are in my groups are incredibly busy. I don't think any one of them would say that their experience in the group has been overwhelming because it's created this new normal mm. that allows them then to engage with these issues from a place where they have capacity. And that's, that's very, very important. Mm. So David, our, our theme this season is fusion friendships. So since we last talked, we've really been kind of diving in into these relationships formed around common passions across lines of difference. What's been a fusion friendship that's been especially impactful for you in this season or kind of that, that has shaped you to equip you well for this season? Yeah, well, I have a few, which is great. I have a relationship with Pastor Philip Walker, who's the pastor of Mount Pleasant Worship and Outreach Center, and Bridget Nelson, who's the leader of their prayer team. Our church has long had a partnership with Mount Pleasant. Well, during the pandemic, we prayed every Sunday morning as two churches together. Now, in person, we pray twice a week together. And over time, they've become very close to me, particularly Bridget and Philip. In particular, my nephew, Lucas, recently had a battle with leukemia over the last year and a half, and he died recently. And the prayer team at Mount Pleasant, you know, basically adopted Lucas and felt like he was their nephew as much as he was mine. And so when Lucas died and we went through that as a family, you know, the kind of relationship and support I had from them was just unreal. And experiencing that again, because recently my father just died, and I'm hearing from them consistently about how they're praying for me and my family. The other that stands out is Ken Jenkins and his wife, Beverly, who live in, in St. Louis, just outside of Ferguson. We have been friends for 20 years because of my work with Jobs for Life, and Ken has been involved with a development project in Ferguson as a result of what took place there with Michael Brown's shooting and how the community has responded there. And so I recently took a group of my leaders from my cohorts, seven of them signed up to go to Ferguson. And we spent a day and a half with Ken and Beverly 
and with the leaders from Ferguson to see kind of behind the scenes what happened there and how the community has responded and this extraordinarily impactful commercial development project. They bought a mall, basically, right next to Ferguson and are doing just this comprehensive, holistic project to provide needs in the community through their small church. And so I was able to take my friends who are here to go see that, to get a vision for what this looks can look like, and to think real big about what it means to provide justice and healing in a community. This is something you never hear about with what's going on in Ferguson. It's a small group of faithful people who have put all the pieces together to do a $13 million project. So Ken and I are really, really close friends. And through him and Beverly and Bridget and Philip and those relationships, you know, again, I wouldn't want anything else. They exposed me to a world and to vision that I need to see so that I can have purpose in my life and see a big God. So I'm really thankful for them. Mm. I love that question, Rob. I love fusion friendships. Makes me happy Mm. to hear how people are just in relationship with each other and how it matters. Mm. That's cool. Mm. Thanks, David. All right. So the new year is around the corner. We're sort of dating this podcast. When everybody listens to this, it'll be Christmas time. But New Year's is around the corner. We're 2021. Hard to believe. A couple weeks out. Yeah, really hard to believe. We say that every year, right? That the time just moves so fast, which means that what we do with our time matters. Mm. So we've got 2020 on right at, right in front of us, David. What? 2022. What we're is not going 2022? Yes, we're going Did I say 2020? <laughs> you said 2020 is ahead in of us. In my mind, I just hit the rewind button. <laughs> I am. I'm dating. That's right. They're like, wait a minute. What season is this? <laughs> no, y'all. 2022. I want to know, since you you have a couple of these cohorts under your belt, and you've been working with lots of incredible leaders, what's the future of just leadership? And, you know, personally, professionally, what do you have coming down the pike in 22? So, you know, give us a glimpse into this next year, into the future. Yeah. So I've been very open-handed with just leadership. I'm usually someone who really plans and strategizes and has a, has a five-year plan and here's what it's going to look like. That's not to say I'm not planning. I've just been really thankful that the doors have continued to open. And so I'm just going through those doors. So my plan is to continue the four groups that I have currently going. They're all at different stages and then start two more in 2022, one at the end of January and one in August. So there's a calendar year group and a school year group. I hope to finish this book, at least have a draft by January and then see where that goes, whether there's someone who's interested in publishing that book or if that's something that I will do on my own and then see how it can be used. I'm working with a core group of companies and leaders that I coach on a regular basis and come alongside them and their leadership. And a few of them have given me the opportunity to do just leadership groups within their businesses. So I actually have a couple of companies where I do monthly gatherings of their employees going through just leadership principles, tailoring the the content that we do in groups for their employees, which has been awesome. I mean, it's been so good. And it's a great test for me to see how this applies. I've also been asked to do a class for recent college graduates. So I've been doing that this fall and we'll do that again, hopefully next 
year. So I'm getting more opportunities to apply this content content to different demographics of groups, as well as in a company context, so that this becomes part of the culture of a company, which is what I hope begins to happen. Even even the the leaders in my cohorts, you know, we often talk about okay, now how are you now taking this back to your business so that this is not your agenda. And everybody is now, oh, now the right. leader's got an, a new idea. <laughs> and and how do you really help the, the company and the team own this and it becomes a part of your culture? So in 2022, I'm hoping to see that happen a little bit more and what that looks like. And then I'm just thinking through, and actually Rob is helping me, at some point, this gets too much for me. And I need to think about how to scale, like you said, Jess beyond just having a book, but what does it look like over time to, to build a team and what is the strategy for that? So again, I'm open-handed with it, thinking through ideas and letting things come to me as, as they will. I love it. That's a packed agenda, friend. And I love that you're open-handed. I like how you put that. You're open-handed around just leadership, kind of letting things organically materialize, like almost in partnership with, with the energy around the cohorts. Mm-hmm. Like where do we need to go next? Mm-hmm. What's needed? Right. Instead of being so directive. I think that's as Yeah, I found in order for it to work, it needs to be under the radar. It needs to be safe in a place where people feel trust. And there's a real relational dynamic to it so that people really want want to be there. You know, you have to want this. Mm-hmm. You can't be convinced that you need it necessarily. You have to Certain things have to happen. Either a peer needs to tell you that you need to do this or something happens in your company that tells you that this might be helpful or, or you just have something stir up inside of you that, that makes you want to be a part of this and need the community around you, the support around you to, to do this so you're not, you're not alone. So I don't go out and sell because it wouldn't work if mm-hmm. I did. So I, have, I don't mm-hmm. think about marketing. I don't think yeah. about... <laughs> I don't yeah. I've decided not to do any social media, you know, all that because it, it undermines, maybe I'll do that later, but undermines, at least for now, what I've found to be the power of this. Which is in and of itself, its own bold and courageous action in our world today, Jess, right? Isn't it? I mean, for someone to say, my marketing no strategy doubt, is sure. to be like Fight Club, where you, you got to know about Fight Club to know where, <laughs> where to find it and Cause you got to want it and you got to, you got to be in the driver's seat and we're, we're not going to invest a ton in external marketing because that's just not the way the model sets us up for long-term transformation. David, this has been, this has been powerful. If people want to know how to find you and, and learn more about the status of your book, how to get a hold of it once it becomes published, upcoming just leadership cohorts, either across business or within their own businesses, access to your coaching, where, where could they go about doing that? Yeah, the best and simplest way is just to email me directly. And my email address is david at spickardconsulting.com. My last name, spickard, S-P-I-C-K-A-R-D, consulting.com. Would love to hear from you and can respond to whatever need or question that people have. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. This is a very compelling continuation of the conversation we started last year and really rewarding for me, especially just because David, he mentioned this, this is, I've got to see his work up close. And so everything he's sharing now, David 
There is no there is no talking out of both sides of his mouth. He he is who he is in the cohort uh, on this podcast. There is a consistency to the way he carries himself in this work, and that's why it works. I think it's why he can say hard things because it's coming from a place of love. You know, to be able to be challenging, knowing he wants others to be able to really thrive. And and I, I've just been able to I've been able to kind of take a back seat on that journey with him and, and really enjoyed. And and I hope other people who are listening that know either are are that person that could benefit or know somebody in their network that could benefit from this type of teaching and coaching and mentorship. Or maybe you just, you just need a roadmap and a compass on how to form the fusion friendships like the ones that David have that have just blessed him so much and seeing the whole playing field. I would encourage you to reach out to him. Ditto. Am I allowed to just co-sign that? What yeah, Rob said? there it is. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, David, it's always a pleasure to have you on because you do. We kind of know how you're going to show up. And I think that's a, that's a beauty of, of you and how you move in the world is that you are a consistent friend and you're constantly learning. So thank you for giving us that gift. Well, thank you. And you guys have modeled that to me. I mean, you all have set the stage for the kind of conversations dealing with hard topics in a way that's winsome, that draws people in with being authentic and vulnerable and both graceful and truthful Mm -hmm. all at the same time. And then you model it through your relationship. You know, your relationship is incredibly authentic. It's not forced. It's, it comes through all the time. So I love sending links to various podcast episodes from Jess to my cohorts because they get dose of that. And it teased me up, and I hope what I'm doing teased you up, too. That's awesome. Grateful, Thanks, Grateful for you, friend. Thank you all. Until next time. Until until part four. Yeah, that until was it. Part we four landed of, the plane. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those moments where, like, let's just keep talking. Yeah, but no, the podcast must come to an end. Like we're, That's like the we're thing. at lunch together. There yeah, you're right. End. There has to be an end date. That's right. What else? We could keep going, yeah, but our else? listeners yeah, no. are probably ready. To <laughs> like, let's call it a day. Yeah, okay. No. David, thank you, friend. Thank you. We'll see you next time, yeah. sooner than later, awesome. I'm sure. Yeah, thank Bye. you, David. Bye. Well, you know what? It's always good to have David on. He's he's a friend, right? And yeah, he's, he's just, he's I love that because he's constantly working on this. Like he's, it's cool to have people in your world that that sort of have the same sort of core values, but have this these big audacious goals around it and are trying to change the world. It's like, now he would be mortified to hear me say, trying to change the world single-handedly because mm. he doesn't believe that's what he's doing. Mm. But like when you're trying, when you're putting effort in and you continue to grow, you know, he stays humble. I just enjoy having him on the call because it reminds me that the work is never finished. There's always just more mm. to do, but you can do it in a way that is calm and peaceful and and balanced and and still move a ball forward. Like oftentimes, you know, he used that. Uh, the thing that resonated with me and the folks will remember this because I pointed it out when he was talking was this idea of being JV and varsity. Mm-hmm. And it feels like you always have to be in this like chaotic, kinetic state, moving, moving fast, going crazy. And I never get that sense with David and yet he's constantly evolving. And so my takeaway is less about his four characteristics and in more about how he is as a person and how he yeah, manages how he this them. justice work. Yeah, yeah, his model, his modeling and how he moves throughout his life has always been really endearing to me. And I'm, I constantly learn from him just through conversation, how to do that better and to sort of bring it down a notch, get focused and push, push the mission forward. I love it. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So it's actually really ironic. You say that because we, I mean, we asked one of our questions to him was, can you give us some examples of what, what this looks like to live these principles out? And 
he is a walking example of what this looks like to be yeah. someone who who has a leadership position, is his own CEO in his own right, and has been that for yep. 20 plus years. But the way in which he moves in the world and the lens in which he's continuing to work on himself, it, it's this weird combination of it. Nothing he shared was different than all that different than what he shared last time, but it felt fresh because mm-hmm. he's working on this stuff every day on himself first and foremost. And everything he's doing with other people is out of the overflow of the work he's doing on himself. Yep. Yep. And that makes it so authentic. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And it helps you to trust the conversation. I think additionally for me, it's sort of adding to what you're saying is that you know, when we first engaged with David and he was, he was kind of fleshing out this idea of the four qualities and he was taking us back to biblical principles and we were kind of wrestling with it. Now he's, he's gone through, he says four cohorts, he's getting ready to add a couple of more in 22. So now there's this practical layer, this practical application on top of his theory, right? Of his theory on how this could come forward in real life. And that makes it even more I don't know, trusted. I am using that word again. It makes it more trusted. But also, it also, for me, gives me a lot of hope because mm. people are moving through this and he's seeing real results and he's seeing, he's getting really good questions from these leaders and he's continuing to refine the process. And that means that something's working. And so, yeah. you know, when he thinks about scaling, I think there's, I think that's really exciting for whoever gets their hands on this process with him, I think is going to be pretty powerful. I'd yeah. love to see him scale across the country soon, sooner than later. Well, that, that local leaders are signing up for mm-hmm. doing this work for themselves and their companies really in the shadows, Jess, because, you know, yes, honestly, it is hard to speak in a reactive manner to a national crisis or a national kind of reckoning. But at the same time, it doesn't, doesn't cost that. It's not very costly. You know, I mean, you, you could say something that maybe lose you some followers, maybe lose you some business, but what they're choosing to do is really work on themselves in the long term. you know, which is, which is a lot more of a cost involved than getting on the bandwagon of, of, of Twitter when everybody yeah. else is saying something and just adding to the white noise that that is not as costly and not to say, not to put those two things against each other and say it's either or, but Man, it's it's really encouraging to know that th- that his model exists and that people are leaning in to do that work to roll up their sleeves because they're not they're not that's not being recorded. You know, they're not getting credit for that because that's not why they're doing it, right? They're not doing it for yeah. the pats on the back. They're doing it because they actually want to see change and they want to be agents of change in their businesses uh, and in their communities for you know all the lives that they touch. So mm-hmm. it's, it really is inspiring. It's a good point. Yeah, it's a good point. And that that he doesn't market it and it's referral based says a lot about, you know, the impact that it's having. So it does. Kudos, it does. David Spickard. I hope he listens the all Tom the way Hanks to the end the so Just we can podcast. give him all this love. Yeah, the Tom Hanks of our Just Podcast. It's it's official. He's gone down in history in three seasons. <laughs> three is. seasons, He's- three episodes. That's 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 major. Setting records, setting records. So, hey, well, Merry Early Christmas to you, friend. Until next time. Thank you. Same uh, to you and your family. That's right. And our listeners, get on, get online, get, look in the show notes. I encourage you, if you've been blessed by this episode or really any others, we encourage you to make that gift to the Connell Green College Fund for his two grandchildren. And and really, and drop us a comment. You can do that on the on the site of how maybe the an interview or something in the Just Podcast journey has been a blessing to you. We'd love to hear that feedback. And who knows, maybe we'll get you get you a shout out in an upcoming episode. So until Fine. 
2022, my friend. We'll see you next year. All right. See you next year, friend. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to Just. In the spirit of sharing, if you like what you've heard, tell a friend about the show and give us a five-star rating and review. Many thanks to DJ P-Dog and producer Low Key for producing the music for our show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 